Moko, what's going on? How y'all doing? We're good? All right, y'all, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, so I think last time I was here, it was, it was almost five years ago, and I know, and I know uh, why. Uh, because I remember at the end of the sermon that I preached here, uh, my wife was pregnant um, with our uh, second-born child, and uh, we knew that there were some complications with them. Didn't quite know what, the, what it was, and the doctors really didn't know what it was, and Doctors were tossing out names like spina bifida or trisomy 13 and things like that. And uh, I remember preaching and being really anxious. And uh, I remember uh, Mike calling up people and praying over us and praying uh, over our unborn child. And, and the text that we're in in Psalm 131, that was a season in which we were concerned with things too great and too marvelous for us. Man, we had a lot of questions like, God, what are you doing? God, why this? Why now? We don't know what's going on. And I think God has used my son to help me to understand that I can trust in him. That day by day, moment by moment, as we seek the Lord and as we, and as we worship him, he's confirmed that he is a God of care. He's a God of love towards us. I remember one of the things that we were concerned about, and my son still has a road ahead of him, but one of the things that the doctor's concerned about is they were unsure if, you were, if he would ever walk, right? And if you see my son now, he won't sit down. <laughs> just running all over the place, climbing stuff. Yeah, and it's um, a testament to the Lord's grace. I mean, sometimes he'll jump off of stuff, and I'm like, bro, listen, we're not trying to pay for more knees, right? So you need to, you need to chill on out. But uh, now praise God for his grace. Uh, if you got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to uh, Psalm 131. We're at the end of a series titled A Psalm for Everything, and I pray um, that you uh, will begin to experience uh, what this psalm uh, describes. And so I'm going to read Psalm 131, and we're going to jump right in. Psalm 131, it says this. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And this is the word of God. And let's take a moment to pray together. Father, only you can give the quiet soul that, that, that we so desperately desire. Our souls are so loud with anxiety and restlessness and worry, and yet you are able to give us peace because you are a God who cares for us. So God, I pray for everyone in this room who may question that, help them to understand that if you care for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, how much more value are we than they? Thank you that you are a sovereign God who sees us and you love us. Help us to trust you. Today, as we hear your word preached, God, I pray that we will not sit above it like critics, but we'll sit beneath it like servants, eager to receive from you, eager to say, God, whatever you say to me today, I'm going to do it. I'm going to respond to your word in faith and obedience. Father, will you help me? Help me to be a person that applies your word first before I preach it. Father, help me. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
All right, y'all, so I'm going to address the elephant in the room because I know y'all are wondering, man. This dude got a big boot on. He's sitting on a stool. What's going on uh, with him? And so let me give you the story. A couple weeks ago, I'm at a high school camp. Uh, um, I'm at at a a camp for high school students preaching all week. Uh, Second morning, about 30 minutes before um, I preach, I'm playing basketball. I'm trying to be young and relatable and hoop with these high school students, right? Because in my mind, I'm 20, right? I know some of y'all are looking at me and you're like, well, you look 20. I appreciate that, right? I, I really do. Uh, but so I'm on the wing. I'm going to paint the picture for you. I'm on the wing and I got the ball, right? I, I cross over. Uh, I got pictures of Allen Iverson in my head, visions of Allen Iverson. So I cross over, man. I drive my left. I push off with my right. And all of a sudden, there's a loud pop. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. Uh, it was a burning sensation that accompanied that. And what was that? That was my Achilles tendon loudly declaring that, Eric, you are not 20. You are, you, you are almost 40, right? And so in that moment, I'll tell you what happened. I ruptured my a- a- Achilles tendon. But here's the thing. What was interesting about it is I thought about this. I had a long time to think about it. I had never paid attention to my Achilles tendon before that moment. But I wasn't worried about it. I can't even tell you how many times I intentionally thought about it until it popped. Maybe never, right? You see, I'm going somewhere with this this morning. The reason why I didn't pay attention to my Achilles tendon before that moment is because of this. Healthy Achilles tendons, they don't call attention to themselves, right? They, they just work, right? They only call attention to themselves when something is wrong with them. And when Achilles, when my Achilles went wrong, it got very loud and it got very painful. Now, let me bring this home to you this morning. My Achilles was loud three weeks ago because something was wrong with it. But it's likely this morning that your soul is loud, that your soul is loud. And Eric, you may be thinking, Eric, yo, what are you talking about? Let me explain. You may be thinking, all right, what is my soul? Well, let me explain it to you. Your soul is the immaterial part of you. It's the part of you that thinks. It's the part of you that feels. It's the part of you that desires. It's the part of you that makes you you. And your souls, like my Achilles, are not meant to call attention to themselves. They're meant to simply work, right? They're meant to simply and naturally do the kind of work that it was created to do because your soul was created to simply and naturally glorify God, right? And our souls are meant to be about that work, and the fact that our souls are loud are, 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 is telling us that something is wrong with it. And you may be thinking, I'm still confused. Oh, well, let me explain. My Achilles declared that something was wrong with it when it made a loud sound that sounded like a pop. And your soul every single day declares that there is something that is wrong with it because every single day it makes a loud sound that goes like this. Me, 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 me. You see, a loud Achilles is an unhealthy Achilles, and a loud soul is an unhealthy soul. And so this psalm, I love it, because David advertises the fact that he's gone, his soul has gone from loud to quiet. That his soul went from loud to quiet, and he declares how to find that quiet, and he encourages other people to find it as well. And so today, we're actually going to explore um, three questions in this short text. Uh, We're going to explore where does the noise actually come from? Like, what does it mean to have a loud soul? We're going to explore how do we, like, where does a quiet soul come from? And then we're going to talk about how to get it, all right? And so first question we're going to address today is where does a loud soul come from? Uh, I want you to look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this. It says, O Lord, my heart, the first part of verse 1, 
My heart is not lifted up. And in this verse, I love it because David is revealing what he's left behind. So verse 2 declares that, hey, he's calmed and quieted his soul. So verse 1 actually helps us understand what does a loud soul sound like. And so what he's saying here is that he's left behind um, the, 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 the loudness of me, 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 me in his soul. What he's talking about here is he's talking about pride. He's learned to torn, turn down the noise of me. And this noise is a result of, he says it in this first, first part of the verse, exalting ourselves or lifting our hearts up to the place that only God should be. You see, Psalm 148, it declares that, God, that, that, that God's name alone should be exalted. And yet what we do in our pride, instead of placing God as the focal point of our thoughts, affections, and desires, what we do is we remove God from that pedestal and we place ourselves there and we were never meant to do that. And one of the symptoms of that is that it gets really loud in our souls. I know some of y'all are thinking, yo, what is he talking about? What does it mean for a soul to be loud? Well, let me explain this to you by way of analogy. I hope this helps. Here's the thing. There, I don't know if you've experienced this, but there are a few noises that are worse than the loud noise of screeching feedback. I don't know if you've ever heard like that noise before, like screeching feedback, something like that, right? Right? You just wanted to make sure that, 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 you, that you got this, right? And so that typically happens when a microphone is too close to a speaker. So I'm going to explain to you what happens, right? So what happens is the speaker receives the noise, right? Receives the noise, and I'm talking right now through the mic. The speaker, the speaker receives the noise. It puts out the noise, but then that microphone uh, catches the noise that the speaker puts out. It goes back through the microphone, through the speaker, over and over and over and over and over again. It's a loop, right? And so, so, so um, I speak. Speaker receives it. It gets put out. The microphone catches that noise again. Y'all get the, y'all get the sense. Y'all, y'all, y'all get the sense of it all. So it goes over and over and over again, and that phenomenon produces that loud, unbearable noise called feedback. And I'll say it like this. Feedback is a loud noise that happens because a speaker is not supposed to receive the same noise that it puts out. I want you to hang with me this morning. Something like that happens in a soul without God. Here's the thing. A loud soul happens because your soul is not supposed to receive what it puts out. Hang with me. Here's the thing. You were created to exalt God. You were created to magnify God. When you sing that song, oh, like Christ be magnified, you were created to magnify him. To put it another way, all that we say and do, all that we put out, all that we produce is meant to glorify God. And yet when we do that, what happens is when we glorify God, we then receive from him the affirmation and identity that our souls hunger for. So you get that from God. But what we've done is this. We've removed God from the pedestal, right? We remove God from that place. And when you remove God, all you have is you, right? So instead of receiving the affirmation and identity that our souls need from God, we attempt to receive the affirmation and identity that our souls need by what we put out, right? And so I'll give some examples. For many of us, we put out work, we produce work, and then we, we turn around and then we trust it to give us the affirmation and identity that we so, that we so desperately need. So we say, um, I did good work, therefore I'm good, yeah. right? Or you put out an amazing family, right? You got a nice family photo with 3.5 kids and you got the dog in there, he's smiling too in the photo, right? So you put that out and then you trust in that to prove that you are a worthy human being. 
right? Or you look at your bank statement and say you're doing good this month. You ain't really did Uber Eats and it's looking good. The number's good, right? All right. So you look at that and you trust in that to give you a sense of self, a sense of worth. And just like it gets loud when a speaker receives what it puts out, here's the thing. Our, soul gets, our souls get loud when we attempt to receive for our affirmation and identity what we put out. Like we think that it's going to be a peaceful occasion. Like, man, if I do this thing, I'll finally be at peace. But it gets loud. It gets loud. We start thinking, man, am I successful enough? We think, man, like, all right, cool. Like, I've done all that. Like, why don't I feel like I thought I should feel? And then we start thinking, all right, what if something happens to that thing that I'm trusting in to give me an identity? Like, what happens if, like, I get fired from my job? And what happens if, you know, like, my, my, my son or my kid goes off the chain? Or, like, like what, what happens? Or what happens if there's somebody else out there that's actually doing better than me? Right? Here's the thing. Your life was never meant to be a feedback loop where you have to be affirmed by what you put out. Right? It's not meant to be that. And David is saying here, listen, I've learned to turn all of that down. I've learned to turn it down. Like, okay, let's keep going into text to kind of describe what that noise sounds like. So you see at the, at the second line of verse 1, we kind of see a progression. This preoccupation with ourselves and exalting ourselves leads us to a preoccupation with your place among other people. So, so look at the second line. It says that my eyes are not raised too high. In other places, it calls that phenomenon haughty eyes, right? And so these are eyes that are always looking around, trying to determine how you're being perceived by other people. And so you're always comparing yourselves to others to see how you measure up. And what you do in that process is that you end up either boasting or you end up despairing. And for some of us, you get this. Like your whole life is driven by the eyes of other people. Like how you measure up, what you wear, what you drive, and even the job that you do. And all of that because we can't stop this inner voice that tells us that we have to measure up to other people. C.S. Lewis, as, as he always does, man, he gets right to the point. He calls that pride, right? He gives this amazing quote about pride, and I want to read it to you really quickly. It says, uh, pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. While other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. So we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, the pride has gone. I love this quote because he's talking about the comparative nature, the competitive nature of pride. And pride is often declaring, listen, I'm higher than you. And some of y'all, y'all may be looking at me and you're like, yo, I don't really struggle with pride that much. Because I know I'm not higher than other people. Right? I know I'm not at the position that I want to be. And I know I'm not there. I don't really wrestle with pride. But here's the thing. If pride is declaring I, I'm higher than you, hear me this morning, jealousy and envy is a declaration that you deserve to be. How many times have we looked at someone who has what we think that we deserve and we think, man, what's so great about them? Why don't I have that? 
We look at the one who has the family and the success or the relationship that we think will affirm us, and we compare ourselves to them, and we often say, no, 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 I should have what they have. You see, we can't stop determining our worth based off of where we seem to be in relationship to other people, and all of that is because we've removed God and this affirmation from our lives. And our pride and self-preoccupation leads us to an obsession, not only with our place among others, it leads us to a preoccupation. Look at the end of verse one. We occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. Because when you remove the omniscient, omnipotent, all-wise one, it's up to you to figure stuff out. Right? And, and we have a mind that's obsessed over things that we can't control. Since we're not God, so we're, we're not all-knowing, all omnipotent, omnipresent, we become preoccupied with things above our pay grade. And then we quickly get overwhelmed. I see this happen a lot. You know, at, at, the, at the campus that I pastor, a, a lot of people come to me. And um, they often come to me and they're more obsessed about God's secret will than his revealed will. And what I mean by that is that people often don't come to me obsessed about, listen, this is what I know God is telling me to do today. How do I do it? They're not really thinking about that. They're more so thinking about, man, I have this decision coming up, this job decision or this, the, 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 this relationship decision or these decisions. And, and it seems like a good decision, but I'm nervous and I'm paralyzed about taking the next step because if I take this next step and I do this and I make the wrong decision, I'm somehow got out of God's will. Like I, I, I'm, I'm paralyzed in choice. And I guess let me caveat this, y'all. It's not, it's okay to prepare for the future. It's okay to ask those questions. However, for many of us, we are more preoccupied with God's secret will for our future rather than his revealed will in the present. Right? And what happens is God is not going to leave us out there. Like if we step by step, day by day, follow God's will and what he's already revealed, we're not going to end up out of his will in the future. Right? Like we'll be right there. But this is one of the ways in which we become preoccupied with things too great and too marvelous for us. And this is one of the ways when we kind of forget God and we put ourselves in a place that only he should be. Right. So let's put all of this together real quick. All right. So there's a lot of noise in the background of verse one. But if I had to summarize it all, I would say this. A loud soul comes from self-preoccupation. Self-preoccupation. We are concerned about me, 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 my glory my place, my future. And just like we cannot relax when there's the ringing sound of feedback in our ears, we cannot relax and rest with the loud noise of me, 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 me in our souls. We, get, we, we, we can't do it. And we're consumed and anxious about keeping our place in the world. And we're envious with, about others about, because we're not where we want to be. And we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And we're anxious about what we do and how we're coming across and anxious about the future. And we're trying to quiet all the noise with more achievement. And we can't do it. And can I ask you a question this morning? Don't you want to be free of the noise? Don't you want to be free? Man, I admit, man, every single week when I preach, I go to the same deal. Because every Tuesday when I sit down and I try to give a word, man, you would think it's a peaceful affair and it's birds chirping outside and just me hearing the voice of the Lord. But every single time I sit down and write a sermon, you know what I'm thinking about? Man, this sermon is trash. I'm thinking, like, how are other people going to respond to me when I preach this? 
Think about other people's eyes on me and what they think about me, and I'm so self-concerned. Uh, uh, and, 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 and you would think, and hold, hold up, and, and this is not like anything for you to come to me after the sermon and be like, oh, that sermon was amazing. This, this, ain't, this, ain't, this ain't subtle like that. Because, because, because let me tell you, if you do that, it still, won't, it still won't solve what's going on in me. Because the next Tuesday that I sit down, I'm going to struggle with the same exact thing. My soul, every single week, tends to be loud with self-preoccupation. I'll bet you feel the same. Man, human approval cannot quiet the noise that is going on in our souls. We need, we need something bigger than that. Don't you want to be free of this noise? And David in this text, he says, listen, I've learned how to turn the noise off. He says, my heart's not lifted up anymore. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't, I don't occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. I'm good. So how does he do it? How does he get the quiet soul? Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love it. He's saying, listen, I've learned how to do this. I've learned the quiet life where I'm not insecure, when I'm not always fighting for my place in the world. I'm not always comparing myself to other people and insecure that I don't have enough. I'm not self-preoccupied. I'm not in this endless feedback loop anymore. And we see a bit of how he does it in the illustration that he gives. He says that his soul is like a weaned child with its mother. Y'all, there's so much in that illustration. And I guess I can see it because I've seen this process happen twice. And so I'm going to explain it to you guys. I know mothers, you're going to get this. A weaned child is a child that has learned that they no longer have to yell and scream in order to get the food that they need. Right? Like, I know moms in the room would get this, but have you ever seen a hungry baby that wasn't weaned? Like, they're crying, they're thrashing around, they're not quiet, right, at all. Here's what's interesting about babies, because they're too young to understand, but I truly believe this is the process going on in their heads. Like, they think that it is their cry that gets them the food, right? Like, like they don't know. Like, all they know is they make a loud noise and the food comes. But when um, a child is weaned, they realize, hear me this morning, that it's not their loud cry that brings the food, right? They realize that there is somebody outside of them that exists, that is more capable to give them what their bellies need, right? They understand that they actually have a mom, right, who knows how to feed them and cares enough to do so, right? So the baby no longer has to be self-preoccupied. They ain't got to cry no more. Because they are free from worrying about themselves because the baby realizes that there's a mama that's already preoccupied with her. Right? All right, I'm going to keep driving this home. There's nobody more preoccupied with their children than mothers. I mean, dads, we are, but moms, they're on a different level. Right? And, I, and I'll give you an assignment. Like, go home and go to your friend's Facebook page that, that just had a baby. I guarantee you, you're going to see that baby, like 80 photos of the baby in the same outfit. And you're going to think, yo, why, why do we got all these photos? But she's going to be like, well, in this photo, she got the bow on. and this photo, she got the little shoes on. Like, mamas are preoccupied with their children. My wife is that way as well. I remember when we first had Eli. And first kid, we didn't know what we was doing, right? It was like when they sent us home from the hospital, we were like, yo, y'all mean y'all going to send us home? Like, we don't, we don't know what we're doing. So I remember the first couple of nights, man, my wife would get up every single time Eli just stirred, right? It wasn't even hungry. So I said, hey, babe. Me being a good husband, I'm a, I got you. Like, you sleep in the bed, I'm going to sleep on the couch, and he'll sleep beside me in the bassinet on the couch. So if he stirs, I won't wake you. But if he needs to eat, 
I, I got you. So that was the plan, right? That was the plan. And so I did that, right? And all of I know is three hours later, I wake up and I look up and my wife is holding the baby and both of them are looking down at me with a look of utter disappointment. <laughs> Apparently the baby started crying and I ain't hear it at all. And my wife was across the house <laughs> and she heard it and she came and, and she came and got him. Why is that? Because mothers are preoccupied with their children. Hear me this morning. In the scriptures, we call God Father, right? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus commands us to call God our Father. And yet, there are instances in the Bible where God compares himself to a mother. So Isaiah 49, 15 says this. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? It says, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Right? This verse describes that there's a God that is obsessed and preoccupied with his children. Hear me today. A child is able to rest when he realizes that someone more capable than him is preoccupied with him. All right, so I'll show y'all how to get a quiet baby. But I hope you see how that quiets your soul this morning, right? A quiet soul comes, hear me, from realizing that you have a capable and caring God who's preoccupied with you, right? Here's the thing. What you put out, what you produce will never be enough to fill your soul, right? Um, Blaise Pascal describes that we have God-sized holes in our hearts that can only be filled with God, right? And here's the thing. What quiets your soul is the knowledge that there's a God in heaven who knows how to give your soul what it needs and cares enough to do so. He does. He does. And David says here, that's me. Like, I no longer, my soul no longer has to be allowed with self-preoccupation. Why? Because I finally realized I've quieted my soul with the realization that there's a God in heaven who's for me and he's not against me. A God in heaven who knows what I need, a God in heaven who knows how to actually meet that need more than me trying to drum it up. Right? I, I love this. Our souls get calm and quiet when instead of crying, me, 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 we entrust our souls to a God who's got me. All right? And so I, what I love about this psalm is that David here, he says that this is not for him alone. He's not saying, I found it, and all right, cool, good luck. But I love it. He declares in verse 3 that this quiet soul is available to everyone. Look at verse 3. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What I love about this verse is that those first two verses, we get an insider's view into David's devotional life. He's praying to God. He's addressing God and talking about his spiritual growth to God, right? He's talking like, God, thank you so much that I've learned this fact that I've gone from loud to quiet in my soul. Then it seems like in verse 3, he gets up from his knees, he dusts himself off, and he declares to the people of God around them, around him how they can find the quiet as well. And I hope you see this as good news this morning because you can actually have a quiet soul this morning. You don't got to be preoccupied and, and focused on you all the time and where you stand and what people think and filled with insecurity and anxiety and worry. Your soul can be quiet and not call attention to itself and just work like my Achilles should be doing, right? And so how do we get that? The discipline of hope. The discipline of hope. Here's the thing, guys. We tend to hope in a lot of things for the peace and the affirmation that only God can give us. 
Like I said before, we look to work, we look to success, we look to relationships to quiet our souls, and it just keeps getting loud. You ever had a crying, you ever tried to shush a crying kid and they just get louder? Like, that's us trying to quiet our souls with stuff. Like, feedback within the soul. And we can receive a quiet soul when instead of hoping in those things, we hope in the God who's able to sovereignly care for us and fill our souls with, the, with what our soul desperately needs. That's it. And we can receive a quiet soul, like I said before, when we realize that God is more capable of caring for you than you are capable of caring for you. <laughs> and I love it because verse 2 actually implies that you receive this kind of care when you become the child of God. It's talking about this mother with his child. You receive the care when you're the child. I'll give you an analogy. It's going to paint me in a bad light, but I'll give it to you anyway if it helps you understand the touch, right? So years ago, I was in, I think I was in Target, and I was in an aisle. I was in an aisle by myself, except there was like a kid that couldn't be above three, right? And um, yeah, so the kids walking towards me, kids crying, snots everywhere, nobody else is around. And the kid reaches up to me to pick them up. First of all, I don't know why the kid reached out to me. Maybe I have a welcoming face. Maybe I put the kid at ease. But my only thought was, uh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and why is that? Because I had visions in my head that as soon as I picked this child up, mom was going to hit that corner and see me holding this child, and all of a sudden I'm being led out of Target <laughs> in, 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 in handcuffs, right? So I'm hesitant to pick up this child to console this child, to quiet this child. Why? Because I wasn't the parent of that child, right? I was nervous that mom would ride in the corner. But here's the thing. Last week, I was in Target, and there was a crying kid, and I consoled that kid. Why was that? Because that kid was mine, <laughs> right? Right? What's the difference? This time, the crying child was mine. I was able to quiet that child because he got the last name Saunders. Here's the thing. God wants to give you his last name. Our God in heaven, y'all think that's exclusive? No, God gives an invitation for anybody to, re to, to receive him to become his child so that you can experience a quiet soul this morning. Our God wants to call you mine. He wants to quiet his children with this love, and he's giving you the opportunity to become one. Because here's the thing. Some of y'all may look around, you don't know Jesus, and you're like, yo, everybody, y'all look like y'all kind of deserve all this. No, none of us deserve to be children of God. None of us do, Right? Here's the thing, we've all sinned. And what sin is, in many ways, is a preoccupation with ourselves rather than God. We, our hearts were lifted up. Our eyes were raised too high. We were occupied with things too great and too marvelous for us, right? We did not trust and obey God for his affirmation. We live for ourselves. And because of our rebellion, we deserve not God's care. We deserve his wrath. That's what we deserve, However, God in his, in his infinite grace sent his son Jesus for us. Jesus came. He lived the perfect life, the life that we did not live. He died a death on the cross in our place for our sin and rebellion. He rose again, proving that he's God and that he's victorious over sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And what that means is that anybody, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter, no matter where you've been, anybody, if you simply believe in Jesus for your salvation... You can become a child of God, and you can experience his love and affirmation that will satisfy your soul, right? 
We can experience the kind of quiet that your, your soul has been longing for your entire life, the quiet that you've been attempting to have through all of your putting out there of success and after, all of that, right? Like, you can't find it. You only find it in him. God has given you the opportunity to hope in him, and I want to encourage you to do that this morning. I'm going to go to encourage the band to come back out. And uh, you may be thinking, Eric, listen, I'm a child of God, right? And so I get all that. But if I'm honest with you today, I still feel what you were talking about. Like, I, I feel like, man, I, I'm constantly comparing myself to other people. I'm constantly concerned about things ab above my pay grade. I feel like loud was an accurate description of my soul. Like, how do I, how do I get the quiet? Well, it's also in verse 3. That verse says, oh, Israel, he's, talking, he's actually talking to the people of God. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. When you become a Christian, it isn't because you place your hope in God one time. It's every single time your soul gets loud with self-preoccupation. Every single time your soul gets loud with me, 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 me. Every single time you're tempted to place, your, place yourself in a place that only God should be. We need to once again not place our hope in those things. We need to place our hope in God. Because every day, you are going to be tempted to hope in so many things for the satisfaction of your soul. And if it ain't God, none of them will work. The accomplishments won't work. The achievements won't work. The, uh, paying attention to your behavior compared to other people won't work. We need to refocus our hopes from those things to the God above. And you know how do we hope like this? I'll give you this. We're talking about the discipline of worship of worship. When we focus on God rather than us, we are reminded that there is one bigger than us who cares about us. And he's the one that is able to satisfy, as Psalm 107.9 says, our longing souls. Here's the thing. Worship kills the noise of self in the soul. Uh, I'll give another analogy real quick and we'll shut it down on this. So uh, McLean Arlington, like we recently got a new building. Praise God, right? And so, so we've been in that building for a while. But when we first got there, we didn't have noise panels on the wall. So if you look around your, um, the auditorium, you see those panels on the wall? That's not decoration. Like those are meant to absorb some of the noise that happens in here when, when you guys are singing so that it doesn't echo. Well, we didn't have those because we didn't have those. So it was just loud during worship. The drums would echo. It was just um, loud and it was hard to hear the beauty of the music, right? But then we got those panels. Like, we, we, we put them up, we, we, we hung them, and everything was loud before them. But when we hung them, everything got so much better. Why? Because those panels absorbed the sound of the echo so that we could hear the beauty of the music. Right? And here's the thing. Light those panels killed the echo in the room. Worship kills the echo of noise in our souls. Right? So that we can have the beauty of a quiet soul so we can hear the affirmation that only comes from God. A soul that simply glorifies God. Because here's the thing, when our, no soul, when our souls are loud with self-preoccupation, with the noise of me, 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 what we need to do is this. We need to use that as a prompt to rehearse that there's a God out there who's there. He's able to provide for me, right? We need to meditate on his goodness because hear me this morning. Worship and the self can't share the same space, <laughs> Right? When we focus on self, we get the feedback of a loud soul. But listen, when we focus on him, what do we get? We'll end on this last verse. This is Zephaniah 317. 
Hear this. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. Think about when you acknowledge the God that is in your midst. It says, it, it, it says this, a mighty one who will say, when you focus on his salvation, he will rejoice over you with gladness. Hear this. He will quiet you with his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Yo, when you turn your mind's eye to the God above who is in your midst, who is very much with you, when you turn your mind's eye to his character, the fact that he's able to save you and he rejoices over you and that this God loves you, here's the thing. Your soul begins to get quiet. It gets weaned. You begin to be at peace because you realize that you are in more capable hands than your own. And I'm not trying to describe this as a, as a quick fix, Right? You're like, Eric, you're telling me, yo, if I just worship, all of a sudden, like, they'll calm anxiety. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that. But I'm saying when you begin over time to use your anxiety and your worry as a prompt to worship, over time that begins to shape you into the kind of person that, that, that has a quiet soul, right? And so I, I, we'll, we'll lead on this. Matter of fact, let me do this. I love it. When we worship when we delight in God, what happens is we begin to truly believe and receive the affirmation that your soul is looking for your entire life. And you begin to experience the fact that he delights over you. And I love the last part of this verse because you realize that when you worship him and delight in him, he delights in you. The last part of Zephaniah 3.17 says he rejoices over you with loud singing. Maybe it's the fact that when we begin to quiet the noise of feedback in our soul, we can finally hear God singing over us, well done, good and faithful servant. We can begin to start hearing, I love you, I care for you, I'm here for you, and that's what your soul desperately needs. And so let's do this. Mike's going to come up, and he's going to help us respond to this sermon. But I want to take a moment to pray for you before we do that. All right? Now let's take a moment to pray. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for the grace that we have in you. We thank you that quiet is actually possible. And we thank you that that's possible because of the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ. God, our souls are so anxious and nervous and restless and all of that. And thank you that we have a Savior who came and he said, I'll come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Father, thank you that the quiet soul is actually possible. Help us to fix our eyes on you rather than ourselves. Help us to exalt you and lift you up and in return to receive the affirmation to receive the identity that our souls crave. Father, will you help us to do this well and all of it for your glory. We love you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.